Thank you for downloading and listening to This Pathological Life. If you're interested in continuing the story, we have a second series called This Medical Life. Please download it and subscribe now. Dr. Travis Brown, why do we need a podcast called This Pathological Life? Every disease has its own story to tell. So we're going to tell them. Welcome to another episode of Hashtag This Pathological Life. Do you like that? Because this is all about social media. So I just did it. (laughs) Very good. Very good. We get any retweets? Uh, Oh, yep, yep. There's one. It's coming from you. (laughs) I'm not sure I count. We call it social media. Uh, And we're very familiar with it these days. Mm -hmm. But the concept is not new. And what we've found is that even when we look through history, we can find elements of social media as pervasive as today. Uh, The the best example uh, comes from Pompeii. And Pompeii is when we had the eruption in Mount Vesuvius in, you know, 79 AD and completely covered Pompeii, Mm -hmm. one day it was a city, the next it was an ash heap. Uh, But there is graffiti written. Now, they call it graffiti, but to be honest, it actually fits into our social media. There's a a few quotes for you, Steve, that that have been found there uh, that that would, I reckon, would uh, qualify as tweets today. All right, I have a look. Just before I do, I'm just thinking how wonderful the Instagram filters at that time. Because uh, even in bushfire times here, when you have beautiful sunsets, it doesn't stop people waxing on about that, despite the terror that people are experiencing. All right, so Pompeii style. Um, okay, here's one. Health to you, Victoria. And wherever you are, may you sneeze sweetly. All right. Um, Sanius to Cornelius, go hang yourself. And there's another one, Pyrrhus, to his chum, I think it's Chius or Chius. I'm sorry to hear you are dead. And so, goodbye. Wow, that's passive aggressive. <laughs> well, I'm not quite sure. Is it, is, or is it a nice thing? See, say it a different way. This uh, is the problem with social media. Yes. I'm sorry to hear you are dead. And so, goodbye. See, there you go. Mm. Lose the context. You do. Uh, so... Here, here in social media with, with doctors, look, I, I'll be honest, I actually stayed off social media a lot. Uh, and it's only become with the podcast that we sort of, okay, well, let's, let's go on and see what happens. Uh, it's interesting that social media has become so pervasive these days that it's almost noticed if you're not on there. Mm. Uh, and, and here's the thing that, that I grapple with. Do you go on there as a professional capacity? Do you go on there as a, a personal capacity? Do you mix them both? And if you don't go on there, then what does that mean? Should, should doctors go on, not go on? Is it important for a voice to be in that field? And so I don't have the answer for that. I do. You- this is what I do I'm in my day job. <laughs> I would be advising people, let's say, looking at Twitter. If you are a doctor, uh, I would, if you're going to have a Twitter account, note that it has to be within the bounds and lines of how you want you and your practice to be perceived if it's under an official name. If it's just a personal name, then it does give you some extra wriggle room. And so you can expose more of your own thoughts and you can have your disclaimers, but note that everything is visible by everyone so there is no such thing as a safe space for letting off steam that has to be a calculated decision yeah so it's it's not good to tweet while emotional 
preferably not. No, I just reminded my daughter the other day because teenage girls get into little spats every now and then. And I said, here's the thing I've been teaching my students and clients since 2005. Never put anything on social media unless you're happy for it to be read out aloud to your spouse, uh, to your mother, or to a judge in a court of law. If you're happy with that, then go ahead. Tweet to your heart's content. And so that brings us to what it is today. So it, it's, it, I think it's important because it's important to have the voice of knowledge out there. I think it's important to be uh, the counterbalance to some misinformation. Uh, and I think that's a really useful. Uh, but we do have a professional that we chat to who has been on this for, oh dear me, 20 years or so. And so we're going to get some advice from, from Liacy. Mm-hmm and see what his experience has been and what can we learn from that. All right, we've checked the time zones. Let's get ready to talk to Liacy in America in just a moment. People want to go on the internet and check out their friends, so why not build a website that offers that friends, pictures, profiles. I'm talking about taking the entire social experience of college and putting it online. The site got 2,200 hits within two hours. Thousand. 22,000. Lee Acey is director of the Mayo Clinic Social Media Network. This network provides training resources, educational and networking events, and also a collaboration platform for healthcare professionals who want to safely and effectively apply social and digital strategies to fight disease, promote health, and improve healthcare. Lee also leads Mayo Clinic's social and digital innovation team, which manages Mayo Clinic's presence across many social media networks and some other sites too, which include Mayo Clinic Connect, an online patient community, uh, Mayo Clinic News Network, and Sharing Mayo Clinic, a patient stories blog. And what makes Lee the perfect person for integrating health, with social media is his background in political and government communications at a local, state and federal levels. Liacy, welcome to This Pathological Life. Delighted to be with you. Thanks for having me. I'm itching to know, though, which is the more fraught community to work in, <laughs> health and social media or politics? In these times, it's uh, obviously the health. Well, actually, it is not obvious, I guess, right? Because uh, there's been there's been a great intersection of these uh, recently. Um, <laughs> I used to say that it was, you know, the the wonder, wonderful thing in coming to work for Mayo Clinic and working in healthcare is that everybody's against cancer, you know, and so there's we're kind of all united by that, and um, but now there's uh, we've gotten. You know, kind of polarized around especially some of the events of the last year or so mm. and uh, you know so there's there's definitely controversy there as well and so there um, I mean I guess thankfully to some extent my time in politics was well before social media was a thing yes um, so I haven't had that ex- uh, haven't had to live in that uh, sort of constantly toxic environment but uh, yeah it's been a challenge for sure now, while we're still just on a personal note, because we're getting into health data and patient app data, etc., personally, have you been able to use health apps to help you in your own journey, your own health journey? Yeah, I mean, I totally have. I mean, I've used social media, first of all, to find out about a lot. I've, I've become a big fan of the low-carb, high-fat diet and, you know, ketogenic diet kind of approach and have... Four years ago, I was 60 pounds heavier, or I guess you'd probably say four stone in the 
uh, in the. <laughs> now we've gone metric here. It's all kilograms. We've gone metric here. Okay, so your About kilos. 25, 25 kilograms ago. Yeah, 25, 30 kilos. And at any rate, um, I had been doing this, you know, 30 minutes a day exercising and all that and eating the way that the food pyramid said you're supposed to and making no progress. And so just started uh, casting about looking for some solutions and came, you know, through social media, came across some good platforms and tools. But then part of that introduced me to things like uh, I've got a Bluetooth scale and I've got about 300 straight days now that I've used, you know, for weighing every morning. So being able to monitor that uh, every morning. I've got the Aura Ring to track my sleep. Just recently, I got a Keto Mojo a glucose meter and a ketone, you know, meter to be able to do the finger sticks and <laughs> and to track that. And then the amazing thing is with my Apple Watch. I mean, it's the crazy thing when he's. I got a rowing machine, okay, and I started doing my first workout, and about three minutes into it, my watch beeps at me and says, "Looks like you're doing a rowing workout." Oh. And it's like, <laughs> how crazy is that? Now, I mean, there's some of the scary things about when. Siri will occasionally say, I didn't quite hear that when I wasn't talking to her. Okay. You know, so there's, there's, there's some of that scary element uh, with it as well. But I mean, I will say the fact that the one time I gained back a little bit of weight was when my disconnect, when my scale was not connected to my app. And so I kind of got out of the habit of weighing and I was feeling like I said, sort of reach my goal. So I definitely see that these tools that you know give you a scorecard they they can tell you how you're progressing and using those uh, personally i found a, a real enhancement a real support to making positive changes this is the perfect intersection of health and social media the information that you have just described is very personal and it's very specific to your circumstances at the time. We're talking about glucose. We're talking about ketones. We're talking about weight. We're talking about exercise. This is now information that's been recorded by a health app. It's not being recorded by any medical sort of hospital information uh, system. That information's now out there, could be used by any of those you know, people who have that access to that app. Are you concerned by any of that? Does that worry you? Is that, a, is that an issue that you see that needs to be addressed? Or is that something that you sit there and just go, oh, it is what it is? Yeah. Well, I was a little bit more of an it is what it is thing uh, previously. Uh, you know, I, I had a little bit more of that attitude previously. Um, I'm not particularly concerned about my weight. I mean, about that data being out there. Um, and... On the other hand, and, and I did actually, when the Aura Ring, which is the sleep, are you familiar with it? It's the sleep ring. You know, they it's um, it's a cool thing that gives you, it's essentially like a little sleep lab that you wear around your finger that tells you how much deep sleep you're getting, you know, heart rate, um, you know, resting heart rate, heart rate variability, all that kind of stuff. And I did sign up for a study that they had. Uh, that was relating to looking for patterns related to COVID where you were taking your temperature every day and where, um, you know, the idea would be, could we see a sign of somebody getting COVID through the fact that, you know, through what their readings are on this ring. Mm -hmm. And I did sign up for the first study on it. I didn't sign up for the second one, you know, because after it had sort of run its course, 
you know, so this, these were, I probably signed up for it in March or April when, you know, we were all in this together and it was all just kind of, you know, sweetness. And even though it was a terrible thing yes. is like, uh, but, you know, I've seen some of what's happened, you know, particularly around Melbourne and, you know, some of the real controversies over pretty, you know, strict lockdown, stay at home. You can't even go out and exercise kind of things. Um, and so I am, I mean, I do have concerns. So to the, to the point that in my latest iOS update, yes, um, they had a thing about how you can sign up to be notified if you may have had a COVID exposure. Oh, I didn't sign up for that. I mean, I'm just like, I, so I'm a little bit, um, a little bit concerned, a little bit nervous about if they're going to use, if they're going to be collecting data passively on my location and did my phone come into proximity with somebody else who may have had COVID. And I, you know, so first, I mean, for a lot of reasons, I supplementing vitamin D, I'm really healthy. I feel really strong that if I would, you know, if I were to come into contact with somebody with COVID, I mean, I'm not, I'm not one of those invincibles, but I think I'll do fine. I'll be okay. And I don't want to be in a lockdown position for 14 days because my phone was close to somebody else's phone who had, you know, a positive COVID test. Um, that just, you know, so the, yeah, there's definite, definite concern. So being like Australia, sometimes with regards to our legislation, we're still grappling with the internet as a regulatory, you know, uh, area. Social media, is there anything over in America that are either guidelines or, or even legislation that governs this area, or is it, a, is it the Wild West? Well, I mean, it's all based on, I mean, with these apps, it's based on um, consent forms, you know, and um, you opt in for sharing data or not. And I think Apple actually has been really pretty good about that in terms of, you know, reminding you what that you're sharing data about this and do you want to continue to share always or do you want to you know and so i think they've had a, a pretty good uh record with that which is why i feel pretty comfortable with my apple health app and putting a lot of my uh data there um but the other thing is i think for most people they're just yeah whatever not reading it you know and clicking accept I mean, that, like you do with your license agreements on a lot of these sites. And so I think uh, I would, you know, would, I mean, I personally am starting to pay a little bit more attention to that and making possibly some different decisions as I did with the second phase study on the Aura Ring to say, okay, I th I'm fine with what I did so far, but, you know, I think I'll hold off for now on, on sharing further. So that leads us nicely into what the Mayo Clinic then is doing from a, an app perspective and, and clinical data and everything. So what is Mayo Clinic doing in, in their social media area for patients and for collecting data? Yeah, well, I draw a distinction between social media and digital media because, you know, social media is all about public connections and talking and, you know, and, and having conversations and we're definitely, you know, all in there and, and, but there's, there's a little bit of a, of a wall uh, when we're talking about clinical data. Actually, there's a big wall. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, we have a, um, 
a, an app that enables, I love that it enables me to get access to all my, you know, blood rec, you know, test results and my clinical notes and putting that in the power in the hands of the patient is exactly the right thing to do. And you clearly, um, you know, it's Dr. Will Mayo, who is one of our founders, said the best interest of the patient is the only interest to be considered, and that that's the that is the um, fundamental philosophy. There is empowering the patients, giving them access to their own data is is a great thing and, and should happen. You know, the potential or some of the potential of digital in the future is as people are able to opt in to say, okay, I'm willing to have some of that data shared in a de-identified way that will enable the uncovering of insights that will help the patient. <laughs> okay, it's all about, so, so without without compromising privacy. So we do have a 10-year um, partnership with, uh, with Google mm -hmm. in terms of having a, uh, and we are looking to really set the standard for what that, what's involved in that de-identification of, of data and how do we, ensure that it isn't able to be, you know, reconciled on the back end and, and, and connected back to individuals. But there, you know, the, the, the promise of big data is to be able to find insights, you know, through artificial intent, intelligence and machine learning and how can we uh, come up with, you know, better treatments and better diagnosis. Um, so that's, uh, that is a, it's definitely an area that's, you know, I, I work with uh, the folks that are uh, doing that, but it's it's not my primary responsibility. Mine is more about people who are sharing, you know, their own stories and finding support from each other and, um, and able to make those connections. So do you see that as a, a net community good here, the nuance of a patient having direct access to their personal records, but society benefiting from the de-identified mass gathering of information to look for trends to help us spot the next COVID or something else like that and inform government policy uh, without anyone individually being identified. Yeah, I think that's the that's the real balance that you need to to find is how do we do that in a way that doesn't put individuals. Um, private information uh, at risk in a way that could could potentially harm them. Um, I mean, we have laws about how you can't use um, data in, you know, in research studies, um, in the employment discrimination decisions, because you know, we have an employer-based health insurance system here. So those are among the concerns. But there's also, I mean, I guess increasingly a level of distrust in government um, and in media. And, and so it's really important to have, uh, have, uh, organizations that, that do have a high level of trust act in a way that's going to be in that best interest of the patient. But I do, I do see that, um, like if you can, if you can spot, uh, trends that would be, um, would enable you to make a different decision that's for the benefit of that de-identified patient, you know, that says, hey, um, this is something that um, you've got, you're at risk of something here, and we can get you the information that would enable you to make a, a better treatment decision. 
uh, that is the the net win for everybody. Do you think this is an area that should be regulated? Like, if your health data is in the US, then you are subject to US laws. But if then Google happens to move a whole bunch of servers into China or some other place, then your information might be governed by that jurisdiction. Do you think this is an area that needs regulation to say everyone has to be either an opt-in or an opt-out or... Do you think this is something that government should come in and say, here is what the law is in this area? Fundamentally, I think patients, you know, individuals, people need to have a, need to have uh, control over their own data and that, it, you know, they need to be able to have informed consent on where that data is being shared. So as we get into multinational kinds of, you know, because obviously um, Google and all these other large organizations um, span the globe. Well, we've seen that already with the data privacy, the GDPR uh, happening in in the UK, that there have been significant implications that we've had to deal with with Mayo Clinic in making sure that we're giving people the opportunity to uh, control their browsing data so their health data should be no less uh, secure. And is there a rule of thumb then, a heuristic if you like, that you'd share with patients as they make the decisions you were talking about do I wear this ring? Do I opt into this study? Do I not? From a from a personal as well as a Mayo Clinic perspective, is there a set of guidelines to say, well, here's how you might make that decision? I, d- I don't want to speak on behalf of Mayo Clinic for this okay. because, um, you know, I can just speak for myself personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it has been an evolving thing. Like I used to be less concerned about Facebook <laughs> and it's, <laughs> and it's advertised like, I liked the fact that they would target, uh, they would show me ads for Stevie Wonder concert tickets because I like Stevie Wonder and I had an opportunity then to go see Stevie Wonder. You know, that's a cool thing. When it gets into some of that, you know, personal health information, there's uh, with all the with all the recent controversy around or relatively recent controversy around Facebook there. Those are that's that's a concern now, even just even on the browsing history. My point on it is if it's, um, I think the, the level, you need to make a trade-off. You need to make a decision of what value am I getting out of this that is going to help me better manage my own health and take charge of it. That's where that weight thing makes a ton of sense to me. And I know that there's a, there's a server out there that has all my weight readings for the last 300 days. I don't see anybody using that in a really negative way. Uh, you know, against me. Some things that are a little bit more personal that are things that are in my electronic medical record. Yeah, I'm going to be more more concerned on that. But also just looking at probably sharing to the minimal level possible to enable you to still have access as you need it. The beauty of when I get a new iPhone is that I can go to iCloud and I don't have to wait. I don't have to manually transfer everything over because it's out there in the cloud. Mm-hmm. And the potential risk is that it's out there in the cloud uh, as well. So that's where, um, again, depending on just how how um, medically serious and dis- you know potentially discriminating it is, that's where I'd be. Um, like, I wouldn't want to put my 23andMe values out there <laughs> <necessarily>. <laughs> Can I change just a little bit uh, then to social media? 
So mm-hmm. again, this is an area I think, uh, even just from my experience uh, of this, that uh, the US is a little bit more uh, free with regards to going onto social media and discussing information and you know sharing a little bit more. Uh, just from my personal experience, it seems to be mm-hmm. Australia seems to be a little bit more reluctant. Um, as I say, just as a rule of thumb, this is only my mm-hmm. sort of perspective. Is there guidelines that you recommend for for doctors on social media? Is there is there a, a you know best practice of what how doctors should behave on social media? Yep. Well, that's that's part of why we created what's now the Mayo Clinic Social Media Network. Um, it's created in 2010, became the Mayo Clinic Social Media Network in 2015. First of all, to help provide guidance to our physicians on how to you know best operate in this environment and also to be a resource you know for patients and prospective patients on on how they might think about engaging in social media yeah we've developed some guidelines for our Mayo Clinic staff that we first published in uh, 2009 and that we've sort of evolved over time we developed some CME accredited continuing medical education accredited training uh, that uh, enables uh, physicians to think through, you know, what the what the parameters should be and how they might consider doing this. And then, in addition to using the platforms like Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and putting in a, appropriate privacy settings and YouTube and others like that, we've developed uh, a network, a standalone network of itself that you mentioned in the introduction, the Mayo Clinic um, Mayo Clinic Connect as a patient to patient community where all we require is a username that can be just a screen name and an email address to be able to then have much freer uh, uh, conversations without concern about disclosure or people being able to map it to your identity and with no advertising sold against it or anything like that. It's just a community that now has 65 or 70 uh, different disease and condition related groups where patients can support each other and and do it in a way that you know Mark Zuckerberg doesn't have access to their to their mm-hmm. data and that they're not going to have things you know sold against it. So so providing a, a spectrum of options, you know, where we've used some private Facebook groups and secret Facebook groups as you know because those are patients. I mean, there's a real thirst, especially among patients with a rare disease or condition doesn't have somebody who lives within 20 kilometers of them see how they use that metric lingo there pretty good huh <laughs> um, but within 20 kilometers who has the or even 100 kilometers um, who shares that same condition but they're looking for so what did you do or how do you like how do you deal with this kind of issue personally i have celiac disease you know and so um, i can learn a lot from our physicians and dietitians about finding gluten-free you know about the importance of a gluten-free meal uh, and, you know, totally gluten-free diet. But if, when I'm in New York City or back in the day when you actually traveled like that and could do that, and I'm looking for a gluten-free restaurant, uh, being able to go on Twitter and say, hey, anybody got a good recommendation for a gluten-free pizza place? Um, that was, you know, that's something where social media can play a really important role to, to crowdsource that information. It sounds invaluable, but I know there'd be some medical registrars and others listening going, well, this sounds good, but 
how do we protect ourselves if a patient gives another patient bad advice in this environment? That, that's, I suppose, where the reticence happens from the the end, from the, the perspective of someone who is coordinating and facilitating this network. I mean, that's a potential concern, and we do our 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 Mayo Clinic Connect community is moderated, so we do have a um, we do have both some paid staff moderation as well as then some mentors who are volunteers who we've deputized uh, okay. to help facilitate this. And so we have some pretty strong guidance, uh, uh, you know, and rules about no selling in the community. You know, this isn't for, uh, on the other hand, we have a terms of use that people sign that they say, I recognize that this is not, you know, medical advice that I'm getting here. I'm getting support from my peers and that this isn't a substitute for medical advice the other reality though is that yes people do say wrong things in our community and then the community helps to correct that Uh and helps to provide the feedback and the reality is that people are going to hear that in other places anyway you know there it's going to be said out there there will be bad information on the internet it's a rule it has to be that way (laughs) But, but having a place where it can be said and then also, it's not just taken down immediately and saying, "Oh no, 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 that's wrong." But say, but engaging and having um, other smart, informed e-patients, you know, contributing and giving that, you know, guidance. Um, I mean, having a good, good community vibe is what's really important. You know, where people are there for e- e- mutual support and. They, they really value that. Just finally, if we're, we've got medical students and uh, people, doctors in training, registrars listening, uh, if they're considering getting onto social media and saying, look, let's, hear, let's get onto Facebook and Twitter, what's your recommendations about what they shouldn't do as in, in that environment? With the training that we've developed and with the resources we have, we've got some guidelines that are enabling people who are the trainees who've got familiar with social media, but they're just brand new doctors. So say, okay, how do I act professionally, you know, in this space? And then we also have resources for our well-established doctors who say, yeah, well, I know how to be professional, but I don't have any clue about Twitter and how that works. And so giving them the resources to learn the platforms. And so that's where our Mayo Clinic uh, social media network at socialmedia.mayoclinic.org is intended to be that learning space where and it's also a community of its own it's you know where people can get guidance where they can uh, ask questions about what others are doing Um, it's important to maintain uh, private you know appropriate professional distance and privacy settings so we really recommend uh, that doctors shouldn't be um, friends on, on facebook for instance uh, but you can interact in groups in Facebook or on pages, you know, where that you're not sharing more of your personal information as a, as a physician with the patients. But like on Twitter, you've got a 160 character bio, you know, you've got that, that basic profile. It's a much more public kind of thing. And I think people recognize that that's more like a radio show or dare I say podcast, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a public communication education form. And so to really treat it that way, to say we don't practice medicine. So the big picture thing is we're not practicing medicine online. What we are doing is educating and, and sharing general health information. 
And then uh, when it comes time to have that doctor-patient relationship, we do that through the secure portals. As a non-doctor, I love the fact that doctors are able to make use of your Mayo Clinic social media network and get training because I I think we need more doctors out mixing with us to help correct ideas. My only criticism is that that network wasn't open to allow, say, former presidents of the USA to take social media (laughs) training. That, That would have been perhaps... Wonderful for all of us had that been the case. Uh, You don't have to respond to that. But thank you, Lee AC, for taking time out to have a chat with us. And is there any last uh, place you'd suggest we go to have a look on social media to maybe follow accounts of interest or or, or get involved? Yeah, so I just uh, suggest if you go to socialmedia.mayoclinic.org, you will find a community of professionals uh, who are interested in using social media and and finding ways to apply it in medical education and research in and then in clinical practice and uh, it, it really is a, a, a great community uh, there's a free opportunity uh, to be engaged in it and would really encourage people to take advantage of the resources thank you Lee thank you This Pathological Life is produced by ClinPath Pathology in South Australia. Episode notes, references and learning objectives when applicable can be found at thispathologicallife.com.au and you can contact the hosts on Twitter via at Dr. Travis Brown or at Steve Davis. Thanks again for listening. And just a reminder, if you haven't done it yet, have a quick search in your podcast app for our second series, This Medical Life. Dr. Travis Brown has rolled up some extra guests, some extra topics, and we continue the story there. And we'd love to have you along.